can you imagine what it would be like to have everything that you know, everything that will be, every single piece of history that has existed up until this point to make you, all your friends, family, every single person that in existence on one side of you and literal infinite nothingness to the other side of you. SpaceX recently went up to the International Space Station with their new Dragon capsule, um, Crew Dragon, and docked with the International Space Station. And what can we learn from this as engineers for our solutions and how to become better problem solvers? Find out in today's episode. Stay tuned. This is the Engineering IRL Podcast, a place for engineers in the real world. We try to break down engineering concepts and figure out how to apply them to real life. Let's become better problem solvers, better engineers. This is your host, Andrew Sario. Let's begin. Hello everyone and welcome to the Sario Dev Show Engineering IRL where I take you through engineering concepts and teach you how to apply them in real life. Today's episode, Revision 31. Thanks for everyone who participated in the previous episode, Revision 30, for the uh, Engineering Kids Book giveaway. The competition is still open. You can head to the website www.sariodev.com forward slash engineering IRL if you want to still be a part of it. Um, details in the previous episode. Check that out. Today's episode, we are talking about Elon Musk's SpaceX uh, Dragon capsule docking with the International Space Station. This only happened a few days ago. If you haven't watched it yet, you should go check it out. I think it's a pretty cool live stream video. They have some pretty cool perspectives because they have a camera inside the capsule and, and you get to see kind of the point of view of the space station, the International Space Station, and the point of view of the uh, Dragon at the same time as they're going through the same process. It rode on top of a Falcon Heavy rocket, if you know from late last year or the year before. Anyway, they just started launching the Falcon Heavy rockets. Typically a Dragon capsule, this is version 1, would ride on top of a Falcon 9 rocket. And you can think of the Falcon Heavy rocket as two Falcon 9 rockets strapped together. Yeah, well, a third, three of them. Anyway, the Dragon capsule, What makes what's different about this one is this Dragon capture is the version 2. So you might ask yourself, hasn't SpaceX already delivered to the ISS before? Well, you would be correct. They currently have the contract for supplying the International Space Station and the Dragon 1 capsule is the vehicle that does that, but it's not designed to hold a crew. So Dragon capsule Dragon 2 is actually also called Crew Dragon, which is designed to carry crew up to seven passengers, apparently of which NASA only uses four or will use four. The version 2 capsule is pretty cool because if you think of all those old school Space Odyssey movies or, or um, oh, actually any space movie and they show the spaceships, you can see like 9 million controls all together. Now in, um, in the SpaceX Dragon capsule, it's all touchscreens. It's all touchscreens, more digital controls. Um, they have emergency access to analog controls, but typically they'll be interfacing with a touchscreen. Uh, movable chairs, bit, oh, I wouldn't use the word spacious, but a little bit uh, more spacious, let's call it. And well, there's a big key difference here. So at the beginning, at the beginning in Dragon 1, what would happen is it would uh, get launched into space on top of a Falcon 9. Once it's, uh, it gets into orbit and then it gets close to the International Space Station, okay, within proximity. And on the International Space Station, there is what's called the Canada Arm. It's a robotic arm and it's, I think they have a few, but 
that is the main arm that 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 they interact with. It's the same arm that they use to repair the Hubble. So if you didn't know the Hubble Space Telescope, that thing actually on first release was a massive failure, media jokes and all that sort of stuff. And what they did was they launched some astronauts into space, into the space station. Um, later on, they uh, picked up the Hubble Space Telescope and they performed repairs doing a spacewalk. So they actually had to get out there and perform, you know, maintenance, mechanical level maintenance as well, you know, super precise work, precision work on the Hubble telescope in space um, because on the first launch they screwed it up and all the images were coming back to Earth blurry. Anyway, it's the same arm. And that robotic arm, what it would do is it would grab the dragon capsule and birth it, they call it birthing, it's not docking when, when, when the arm does it, uh, with the space station. So that's how then the crew could get into the capsule and pick up supplies and drop off stuff back and the capsule would go back to Earth. Okay, and just a side note, just a quick thing on the Canada arm, because you might think like, well, is how hard it, how hard is it to use the Canada arm? And I tell you, um, if you head out to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, you can in Cape Canaveral, you can use. They probably have this software online. Don't get me wrong, but this is where I got to play with it. There's simulators for the International Space Station, and there's games. Um, for controlling the Canada arm. Of course, there's an instruction manual and there's a, you know, a, you know, tutorial, but obviously I skipped all of that. True engineering nature, I'm gonna figure it out. And if you use normal human logic and trial and error, you just, you see an object in space, you need to just stretch the arm out, you know, and you just got controls and you stretch the arm out and you grab it, like, and you bring it to the space station. How hard is that? Now, the Canada arm has different axes. Yeah, so little joints in which it can turn. This is like every robotic arm. But those joints, each of them can, can turn. So one might turn on a Z, on a Z axis, one on an X axis, and one on a Y axis. Okay? And so you wanna, you wanna go between these joints and change these axes to then figure out where you're gonna reach out to. So you don't, and it's kinda interesting that your brain does this, but when you go out and grab something, really you look at it and you go and grab it. Like there's a direction. It's forward, grab, and back. But really it's actually an object in 3D space and, and you don't realize how hard it is until you try to tell a computer where to reach. So even if it's right out in front of it, really he's got to move his elbow up so that his arm can extend forward. So do that with your right arm. Bring your right elbow up, like your arms, your hands towards your chest, you bring your right elbow up and then you extend it out. But here's the thing, if you can't, you know, you can't move your shoulder as easily, where you, how high you bring your elbow up is kind of locked in beforehand. So if you bring your elbow up slightly and you extend your arm, your hand's going lower. And if you bring your elbow up further, then you're, you know, then when you extend out, it goes further. But there's like multiple joints along the way, so it's almost like a cause and effect. It's a ripple effect. You, you have to know, you have to be precise about where you're connecting it. And the easiest way to um, control the arm from a simulation standpoint, not from an astronaut standpoint, don't get me wrong, is you actually have to think about each joint and where they are in regards to your X, Y, and Z and how they impact that hand in terms of uh, X, Y, Z coordinates and relative to what the device you want to pull. Because the other thing is it's super slow. So Every change you make, like if you just move your hand, you're getting real-time information, you adjust on the fly, you never have to exactly think of, you know, the, that line, that trajectory of your hand to, to reach out for something in front of you, you just kind of go towards it. But you're actually real-time adjusting at all times, and the trajectory is more like a wavy line, like a randomly drawn line, not a straight line. Okay, so it's not, it's not so super simple on how you control the arm, especially to the untrained eye, it's a less it's less thought, uh, sorry, it's it's less intuitive, but it is mathematical and it's super slow. Now, 
what's the deal with it? Be, what's what's wrong with it being slow? Well, it has to be slow because you don't want to ram the the device or whatever you're grabbing in back into the space station. There's hard limits built into the arm for the controls to make sure it doesn't um, you know damage the space station. But you because you're actually causing physical contact with an object in the space station, it needs to be precise and it needs to be slow. But because it's slow, you know you don't get real time feedback as quickly. You need to plan things and be careful. And you got to imagine it costs, there's an energy cost with using the arm, so they want to make that as efficient as possible. So they use the Canada arm, they bring it in close. The cool part about what the Dragon Capsule, the current version 2 Dragon Capsule did, is there was no Canada arm needed. No, there was no Canada arm, Canada arm needed. It would actually, it would get into um, range, then it would slowly align, there's like a target that it has, and there's a target on the dock, um, and they align, and the uh, crew for in, on the International Space Station could control the dragon and they would they would bring it to a basically a certain point and when it was close enough the dragon then self-docked and it has a whole bunch of thrusters around its base so you can imagine from the top side you know think of the pointy cone the pointy cone is the part that's going to dock with the space station and on the base around the circle is a whole bunch of thrusters and you can see them they're like so each, all individual ones, it's not like boost left or right. There's 360 degrees of, of boost, of, of slight tweaks and adjustments you can do. Because you're not just aligning X and Y. You're not just aligning like, is this, like when you look at a circle and you're aligning two circles, flat circles, you're just making sure left and right, up and down. Okay, that matches perfectly. But that's not, that's not all. There's a Z, there's another axis, and that circle, even though they're perfectly aligned in terms of, like, put your hands together, okay, in front of you clap them together and pull them away just a little bit and you can see if you move one hand forward uh, like away from you and towards you you can control that axis and you can move it up and down and usually if you align that with the other hand perfectly and you close your hands together it matches but the other thing what they have to actually get perfect is if you take one of your hands and kind of slightly tilt it so you bring your your thumb to the right and you bring the you know the other end of your hand to the left so you twist it a little bit and you bring your hands together, your hand, you don't clap, it doesn't align, but even though the X and Y match. But that can be off by a millimeter, you know? It could be off only a couple of degrees and that would actually not align, there'd be an air gap, and basically you would, all the, you know, all the space, think of all the space memes you can think of, okay, getting blown out into space. Alright, so there's always that other axis to consider and it's harder to think in that way because you operate in 3D space currently, but you don't even think about it. You operate in 3D space currently, you operate in 3D space currently, and you don't even think about it because your mind actually does all the calculations and takes care of that for you. You're just thinking clap hands. You're not thinking about the X, Y, and the Z angle of your hands. You just put them together. Magic. Power of the brain. Okay. Okay. So, that Dragon Capsule version 2 is very cool because it self-docks. It, has, it holds crew members and it will be the one that will do future moon missions, right? Which is really cool. And you might say, wait, moon missions? Did we even go? Well, yes, the answer is yes. And maybe I'll cover that in an episode later. Because you might argue that, oh, the, you know, uh, supposedly our phones are smarter than the tech that they had for all of NASA to land on the moon, yet we still haven't gone since. And whilst that's true, it's kind of a silly statement because... At the end of the day, your computers, what they're doing for you is, digitally what they're doing for you is doing something, uh, replicating something that happens analogly, okay, in the real world. 
It already happens. So even if you think, oh yeah, my phone sends a message. Yeah, but you could always send a message by sending a person over, right? You could always, you know, drive a car without, like cars now have so many, have, have so much more advanced computers than cars of old, yet they can travel the same speed. So what I'm saying is uh, back then when they had the uh, those spacecrafts um, and the space missions, a lot more tasks were analog, manually, okay? The stuff your computer chips do for you in your phones, someone physically did that. They adjusted the AND gates and the OR gates. Someone physically did these things. There were analog processes instead, okay? That's the difference. So, of course, it had way more, what you have is way more compute power, but it doesn't mean it was impossible because you don't need a computer to do those same tasks. The computer makes you do it accurately, quickly, uh, with less mistakes. That's what the computer does. Okay, so there will be moon missions in the future. That's the plan according to Elon Musk. Um, and actually, you know, it's cool if you think about, if you have a look at the Model 3, the Tesla Model 3, and you look at the um, Dragon capsule, it's so minimalist. And they got all the touchscreen, probably it's the same tech. It's so minimalist. It's very Musk-esque. Very cool. Now, a quick fun fact that there's a uh, TV series, a docu-series on Netflix at the moment called One Strange Rock, hosted by Will Smith, and it's uh, he's going through with eight astronauts, and they're talking about you know how crazy the Earth is with their unique perspective from space, and some fun facts that I've learned from it. Okay, one. There was a part where Chris Hadfield, he's one of the astronauts, he had a, uh, like something happened, he was on a spacewalk, so he's physically outside in a suit, okay, outside of the space station in a suit, doing some job, and one of his eyes, I don't know, something went wrong, okay, like, you know, his eyes started watering, watering up, his eyes started watering up. Now, when you think of when your eyes water up, you're like, okay, big deal, but in space, because there's no gravity, a teardrop requires the gravity to drop. The drop part of a tear is due to gravity. So without gravity, you got this well of water just sitting on your eyeball. Excru excruciating pain. And then it would like just float across to his other eye. You just got water floating directly in your eyes. And they're basically tears that never drop. And of course, he's in a spacesuit, so he can't actually physically touch his eyes. So he actually has to use a escape, like a basically flush his helmet. That's hella scary, because that's straight into space. Everything that's inside just goes straight out. That was the only way he could clear it. Otherwise, he was physically blind in space, like outside the spaceship. Very scary. But the cool thing about the show and the cool thing about thinking about things in space is it changes the entire, it changes the base formulas in which we operate. Makes you think about how things work outside of the way they normally work. Okay? Makes you think th differently about um, the same problems. You know, like a tool, you can't just have a tool because if it flies out, it will do this. You know, you can't just apply this liquid onto something because it's going to fly away. You have to think differently. Now, one other cool thing that you would never have thought of is, unless you had been physically in space, is when, and this is all reaccounts from um, episode one as well. So if you if you're not even sure about the series, just go watch episode one. But um, so Hadfield's up there. He's got. He said he's doing his. He's doing the work, and there's something so surreal about the fact that you come out onto the space station, 
And to your right is the Earth. It's literally the entire history, future, every single person that you've ever been or ever will talk to or ever have talked to, every single event, all of human history, every single thing in existence that makes you something is all on your right in one ball. And on your left is infinite nothingness. Essentially, there's nowhere, there's nowhere where you can have that experience, where you can see that, where you can feel that intensity and that magnitude. So it's some serious stuff, right? Um, you know, they're doing some really cool stuff up there. And if you've never done it before, I, I recommend you download the uh, International Space Station, the ISS uh, tracker, and you find out when. And you find out when the International Space Station is flying over your location. It could be a fun little date thing to do, cool thing to do, you know, like as a nerd thing, to see the International Space Station from Earth uh, kind of looks like a star just slowly moving, you know, across the sky. You just watch it. And it's exactly in the direction, degree, and angle as what the app is telling you. And it's kind of nice to know that there's about, roughly speaking, six humans in that in that football field-sized space station just floating across. You know, they the space station travels around Earth nine, uh, ten times or nine times faster than a speeding bullet than a bullet. Think about that speed, like bang, you shoot, like that person's dead. Okay, we don't have to go with death, but anyways, you shoot. It's so quick, you can't. You know, it's hard to dodge that. So imagine 10 times faster, that's what's happening. 90 minutes, complete round trip around the globe. You know, eight hour trips are eight minutes. It's kind of mind boggling that you would look down on the earth and see things differently. Okay, so what's the lesson? What are we gonna take from this little pieces of information and apply in real life? Well, very simply put, there are many ways and many angles to look at when solving a problem. And many, many, many times, what we're doing is we're only looking at the X and Y. We're aligning and going, why aren't, why aren't things working? And it's because you're missing one axis, right? There's a whole other axis of, of, of uh, ways to operate or, way, or, or ways that you can look at the problem. It may not be okay, but I'm saying it's, it's good to think about because if anything from today's episode made you think slightly differently, like, oh, yeah, that would be different that way. And you do these, like you, you are being, you, cry, you know, you can have tears on any given day. You've done it. Okay, maybe some of you haven't cried before, but you've done it. Or you've seen people cry, and not once would you think about the fact that the tear with gravity is what you experience as crying, right? There's always another way to think about things. And so, and, and you may be missing an axis. And so what I want to get you to do is, when you work on a solution, okay, and many times you have a solution that's that's the answer, that is definitely the best, most feasible, quickest, cheapest, best quality solution you can have in this certain time frame. But what a good exercise is, and I do this all the time, um, is you think of all the alternate solutions you can come up with. Even slight variations, maybe using a slightly different part. But what you do is you don't just think of that and go, oh, that thing's more expensive, done. You actually think physically in your mind, think through the solution to its end. Like, try to visualize what will happen with that solution. Like, live out its, not its complete lifestyle, but, but you want to live out, but you want to live out and you want to simulate the solution further, much further through, as if it were going to be the final solution. And you just do this quickly. 
But what you may find is, you know, there's pros. Think of it like this: there's problems. Are this for each solution? Think of it like this: for each solution, there are pros and cons. Now, sometimes when you think through the solution, you might realize some pros are actually, you know, one solution that's a suboptimal solution might have a pro further down in the process that you might want to try capture back into your current solution. When you think of a solution and you think about the whole、uh, whole process, how that solution will be across the whole process. One solution might be more expensive, yes, and you cut that out. We can afford. You know something that's five times more expensive than the solution we've got. Fair enough, you're not going to go with it, but think through that solution as if it were going to be your solution. And this is where I'm going to point into the other axes. When you think of the solution fitting, you're looking at solution. Yes, that's one axis, and then the price. That's the second axis. The price is off. You, you're done. But the other axis is how the solution performs over time. You know, across your project at different phases, or what, what's what's the implications. And when you work along that axis, there might be a pro that you want to bring into your original solution. It'll make your solutions better, and it will make you be able to justify why you never went one way or another. And it makes you think through your solutions, think outside the box, all that sort of stuff. Think outside this world. With that being said, I'm going to leave it right there. Hopefully, you enjoyed this episode.、Um, that is some pretty cool news. Because this was kind of spacey themed, the next episode will be、uh, based on one of the future,、uh, the chapters of the.、Uh, 14 Engineering Rules for Life book, which will be all about gravity, but it's going to be a good one. It's going to be in a way that you never thought of.、Um, and then, as well, if you like this, please subscribe, like, share it, whatever it is. Share it with an engineer. Discuss something, or leave me a question. We'll put it in the show. You've heard the previous episodes. We've put people's questions on the show, and we'll continue to do that. We've now partnered up with Podcoin. The podcast is available on Podcoin, and you can earn money by listening to this podcast. It's crypto-based,、um, but it's a kind of an interesting concept. And if you are a new listener from Podcoin, welcome, welcome to the show. Hopefully, I can deliver you more and more episodes,、um, and I'll see you in the next one. Thank、you